You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, let's stand, let's rise together uh, if you're able, and let's read through 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning together as a church. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded. Faithful in all things, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is the word of God. Let's, uh, you can grab a seat, let's pray, and then we'll jump in <clears throat> to the text this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for uh, its power. I thank you for its instruction. I thank you for its clear instruction as we read through and, and study and, and memorize and apply to our lives. I pray, Jesus, that we will be faithful appliers of your word. They will not merely listen to the word and forget what it says, uh, but that we will heed it, that we will uh, take, take hold of it in our lives and, and share it with others as well uh, through our actions, our words, and our deeds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm getting a little bit of a ringing. I don't know if you guys hear that. Can you hear that? I'm not sure what you said. The handheld mic is turned off. But I'm getting a little bit of ringing. I don't hear it right now, so maybe it's solved. Maybe you solved the problem. But let, let, just so you know, as we jump into this text, uh, there, there's a lot there. There's, there's a ton, actually, in this, in this, uh, this, ver- this chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. One that many books have been written about, many things studied, many controversies, all kinds of this kind of stuff. So to cover a massive chapter like this uh, in one sermon, like an hour and a half sermon... 
Just kidding. We're not going to be for an hour and a half. But it, it is one of those things that is, uh, I'm, I need you to know that I'm broad brushing this. And plus, I'm, not, I'm actually going to skip over verses 1 or verses 8 through 13, the, the qualifications of a deacon, uh, for a couple reasons. Because of time. Uh, another reason is because many of those qualificators, those character qualities that you see in there, are also listed for the elder. And, uh, and secondly, uh, we see in that that the, the, the reasons for that is, uh, well, I, I need to see that there's both men and women deacons and elders is the differences, teacher and male eldership. And so, so we're going to just fly over 8 through 13. We're going to miss that. And we're going to hit the other uh, verses in this amazing chapter. So let me give you the outline first that I've uh, unpacked for us. It's on the screen there. It's what is the church behavior in church? What is the message of the church? And like I said in verse or number four, that we're not going to hit all 13 verses. But the character of those leading the church, we'll spend most of our time there. And then what do we need? So application for us. So number one, let's look at number one. What is the church? Turn back into your Bibles in verse 15. You can see it there. What is the church? You can see it on the screen. It is the household of God. It is a pillar and it is a buttress of the truth. You have heard this said before, I'm sure, that the church is not a building or a place. It's a people. I'm sure many of you have heard this before. Like, so we actually need to, if we understand that truth, uh, we need to change our, vo- vo- our vocabulary. So it's not, I'm not going to church, which means I'm going to a certain place or a building or a structure. I'm actually going to gather as the church, as a household of God, as a pillar and a buttress of truth. This is the language we ought to begin to start using. See, the church is the people of God. All those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this, you are part of the church and believed upon him for salvation. Now, here in the context that which Paul is writing Timothy, Paul proclaims that the apostle or the people, sorry, of God are the household of God, pillars and a buttress of the truth. Now, household of God, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over really quickly to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll just flip it over. I don't hear any Bibles flipping, but maybe you can scroll. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it actually says this. I'll read back to 4. Verse 4 and 5 of 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone. A living stone. So this is a, you, you are active. You're living. You've you're, you got flesh and blood. You are the church. A living stone are built, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the church. We are a living and active body, not a building. And then it also says that we are pillars and a buttress of the truth. Now, two words we don't often use, right? Like pillar, we might use if we're in construction. Buttress. Anytime I say buttress, I feel like I'm swearing a little bit. I don't know about you. Like you can try it if you want. Say buttress. Uh, it feels a little bit weird because we just don't have this in our vocabulary. But these two words are important to understand. They're words that provide structure and stability and strength. Like the pillar holds up or undergirds a building. Maybe another way to explain this would be that that they serve to hold up what is most important. A pillar serves to hold up what is most important. 
Now, I don't know if you know much of my background, but I used to work construction. I, I was a carpenter. Uh, we moved from actually houses to condos to then to high-rises. I was actually on the high-rise, the wall center downtown Vancouver. Like it was a, it, at that time when we were building it, it was going to be the tallest high-rise downtown Vancouver. So we were all really pumped about being on this project. We're going to be on the highest one. But out of the, the foundation, so the, the many levels of underground parking, we get to finally get to the street level. And we're at the street level, and we start forming these pillars. And these pillars, like three of us could grab hands and wrap ourselves around. That's how thick these things were. Monster pillars filled with these big rods of steel and full of concrete. These pillars were something to behold. But no one will walk into the, the wall center downtown Vancouver and go to the pillar and go, wow, look at that pillar. No. Its job is to, unless Toby, right, Toby's an engineer, so he will go to the pillars. But, but other people, like normal people uh, outside of Toby, right, <laughs> well, and myself anyways, will go outside and look at the building. They'll look at the structure. They'll look at the courtyard. They'll look at the beauty. They'll look at the condos and apartment buildings, the stores, and they'll see this is an amazing structure. See here, Paul is giving us, the people of God, the identity of a pillar, a role of importance to hold not a building, but to hold up the truth that those around might admire it. Like, don't look at me. I'm merely a pillar, and I want to do my best to hold up the truth. This is who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ. A pillar. Paul uses also this word buttress. The buttress is more like the mainstay of a ship. If you're a, a sailor, you understand what this is. You have the mast and the heavy-duty wire or line that goes down to and is supported by the, the undercarriage of the ship. Like it's, it's, a deep, it's, a deep, it's, a, it's a most important role. Because without the mainstay of the ship, the mast will fall and the ship is useless. There's only one of these. There's only one of these. So again, in this context, Paul is saying to Timothy, no matter where you are, if you are the last one standing, hold up the truth. This is the household of God. We hold up the truth. We shine the light of Christ. And as we do, God resides in us as believers. This is so important, friends. God has given us an amazing task to proclaim him. To proclaim him. He's the most important. We are merely the pillar holding up what is most important. We, we never forget the importance that God calls us to. So we are pillars, the buttress, the very household of God. How then are we to, number two, behave? How are we to behave in the church? Well, look at verse 15. It says, I am writing these things. Anytime an author in the Bible says, I am writing these things, is a really important phrase. So that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So all the character traits and the teachings of protection from false teachers back in chapter 1, all the things, the men and roles of men and women in chapters 2, and now here the character traits of the elder and the deacon in chapter 3, He's writing these things so that we ought know how to behave within the church. We know how to set up and govern the structure of the church. So let me say this before moving on. Very simple instruction, but hard to live out. 
Okay, simple instruction, but hard to live out. You have been given the rules and character traits to live out, each one of us. Here's the instruction. Stop pointing at the passages about one another. Take responsibility for the task that Jesus has given you. It's easy instruction, but hard to live out. It's really easy to point out the wrong in someone else and not live out the exact instruction that we are reading out of the Scripture. So again, I challenge us, I encourage us to read through 1 Timothy, not just this chapter, but all of it, and be the pillar that holds up the truth. And as you read, if you're a man, pay attention to the verses that holds up or that, that share about your responsibility. If you're a woman, read the passages that share about your role. And both genders then seek to fulfill your roles given to us by the word of truth. This is what we are to hold up. So we have what the church is, how to behave in the church. And now, number three, what is the message of the church? Well, in verse 16, we see this. Paul, after one, verse, chapter 1, 2, and 3, now shares this beautiful, beautiful expression of the gospel. He says, great indeed, we confess. This is what we're to confess. This is what we're to proclaim, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what we are to proclaim. This is the very truth we are to hold up as pillars of Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything. He is of most importance. We are nothing. We exist to make Jesus known locally and globally. This is the message of the church. We are merely, as Paul said in another text, merely jars of clay that hold a very important substance. We are the household of God. He is saying the same thing over and over again. He, God resides in us. And He is our strength. He is our comfort. He is our rest. He is our salvation. He is our redemption. He is our freedom. He is everything. So we're to hold Him up. So broad brushing again, this, this massive text of what the church is, how to behave in the church, and now the message to proclaim. And now here, more specifically, let's look at the character of those leading the church. Now we're going to spend a little more time in chapter four, or the point number four. So since I came to the Shore Church two years ago, many were, had come to me early on in, the, in, in my time here, like all the way up to about six months in even, and say, Jer, why haven't you raised up elders? And so this text has actually been on my heart for a long time because it's one of incredibly important. It's a, it's a huge importance, and I, I hold it with high regard because I do my very best to live out these character qualities, and I, and I fail at them. We're not going to have a perfect person this side of heaven on these qualifications, but we ought to be striving for them. And this is what an elder is. Someone that strives for these things. Someone that aspires and desires these things. These character traits. So eldership, as I hope you will soon discover and continue to discover, is not a committee of businessmen. It's not the smartest men in this room. It's not the wealthiest men in this room. It is not the oldest in the room. And it is not the very capable women in this room. Eldership given to us by the scriptures an important role within the church that comes with deep character and is gender specific. 
And if you are new here or listening online and you disagree with me on this, that is totally fine. It's totally fine. I just don't see any other way one can faithfully interpret the scriptures and add eldership to the role women have within the church. But it is fine because it's not of first importance. But you have to look at your church and how it is governing the orchestration of the church that we are given in 1 Timothy 3. And you have to ask the question, if they're not governing, governing the church the way God is calling you to, then you should raise questions. You should be concerned about this. So let's get into this very important role of leading the church. We have already read the text. Let me point out the character qualities and then talk about each very quickly. Again, this will be quick, but we'll establish some foundation moving forward for us as men here in the congregation, for women to be good helpers, undergirders for your husbands, equal but yet different roles, and and helping us move in this direction. So again, all the character qualities you can see on the screen, I've got them on there. The thing we need to see first is right there in the verse verse, the words aspires and desires. So let's just keep that on there, Dries, as we go through all of these character traits. So there's going to be 14 of them. You can take a picture on the screen, but it's also in your Bible. Just circle them. It's right there in the text. But look at verse 1. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires... To the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. See, not all men have been given this desire for eldership, but I would say all men are called to the following character traits. Not all men will have an aspiration for this or a desire for this, but all men ought to be seeking out these character traits. So what does this man's character look like? Well, he must be, number one, he must be above reproach. Now again, like buttress... Not often we don't use this outside the church, like in your neighborhood. I actually asked someone, do you understand what above reproach means? And they, they couldn't give me an answer for what that meant. Our culture is losing this, but it's an incredibly important word. Um, now, it simply means to be free from any offensive or disgraceful action of character or conduct. Let me give you an example. So if I were to knock on your neighbor's doors and ask your neighbors about you, your character, if I were to go to your place of work and ask your employer or employees that you have under you, how is the character? If I were to go to your family, your wife, or your kids and and ask how's your husband's and your father's character, See, how they answer describes being above reproach. If they answer, this man is a man of character. I don't have anything against him. A simple example is when I started in ministry, one of the things that we have actually in conduct for our staff here as well, but I I had never heard about this, and and it actually went kind of viral a couple years back when Mike Pence was was running and, and it was like this, this uh, kind of this Pence rule of like, I'm not going to travel with any woman in a, in a car or, or whatever it might be and, or me with them. We've, we've been having that rule within the church for this very reason of being above reproach for a long time. So there's been ladies in the church that I've attended before and before this one and also this one of like, hey, can you give me a ride home? And I'll say, unfortunately, no, I can't. 
Not that I don't trust myself or I don't trust the individual that I would drive home. The, the fact that I don't trust the, the people watching. So if, the, if she gets out of the car or, or gets in the car with me driving away, other people might actually go, what's going on there? And so I want to be above reproach that no one has anything against me on that. So if I meet with a woman, it's usually for coffee out in public. Wide open, sitting across from the table. Bible open. And my wife knows my calendar. I want to be above reproach. My kids often know who I'm meeting with. I want to be above reproach. So these are important things to be men of God, to be faithful stewards. So men, I've challenged many men here, even at the shore in my short time here, that I heard that they're driving home a, a woman or someone. I said, like, we need to think through this. I, I know I trust you. I know I, I trust the individual, but we need to be careful of what we're doing. We need to be above reproach. Secondly, husband of one wife. So this phrase can be translated more specifically as a one-woman man. Lots of debate over this one, but like most debates, if you just read the Scripture slowly and carefully uh, and walk through it intently, uh, it becomes clear when you look at it under the whole story of God. But this means you are not to be lost in the world of pornography, whether single or married. You are to live your life wholly to the Lord and wholly dedicated towards your wife or future wife, does not mean you have to be married. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 7 too, the context of marriage. Like if, if you're not married, you are to essentially be tied to the Lord. That, that is your first importance at all times. But it says there in that text that if you're married, then your worries will be about your wife rather than about the Lord. And vice versa, if you're, if you're a woman, you, your worries are about the man rather than the Lord. It's going to take away. It's going to, there's going to be some distraction there. So Paul actually encourages, live as if you're single. Live as if you're loving the Lord, your God, in all of this. Honoring your wife and your husband in that way. So if you're single, this is still for you. You have to live your life wholly to the Lord and wholly dedicated toward your wife or future wife. It does not mean, like I said, you have to be married. But this point also emphasizes why we hold to male eldership, along with many other texts in Scripture that I'd be more than happy with, to discuss with you. If you just go back and read chapter 2, you'd get some insight into that as well. But this is leaving your father and mother and cleaving to your wife. This is what this is. It's, it's wholly dedicated. Number three, sober-minded. In other words, mental sobriety. Mental sobriety. This is a man that shows self-control and balanced judgment when it comes to matters that are within the church or against it. Mental sobriety. Number four, self-control, the ability to keep an objective perspective in the face of problems, disagreements, and controversies. Self-control battles against pride, authoritarianism, and self-justification. We need to handle each matter that comes our way in a self-controlled way, thinking rightly about it. So they all tie together here. Number five, the elder should be respectable, or in the original, cosmios, this, again, is the sensible-minded man, well-behaved, and someone that uh, others look to, 
like look to follow. So if there's men here that are, that have a group of individuals that are following them and, and emulating their life and, and seeing what they're doing and going, you know what, I want to, I want to build that character trait on, on myself as well. I want to, I want to do what they're doing because I see how it's working and, and I want, I want to govern my family like they're governing theirs. I think it's really helpful and loving. Those are the men of, that are respectable, ones that others follow. Number six, it's hospitable. This character trait shouldn't shock us though, right? Like it shouldn't shock us at all. God himself invites us into his creation. He's the most hospitable or hospital, hospital, not hospital. He's the most hospitable of, of all of us. See, elders to do the same. We see this everywhere in the scripture from Genesis through Paul's letters in the New Testament. We actually saw it a few weeks a few weeks ago when we were talking about clothing of the true fast in Isaiah 58, clothing the homeless and inviting them into your home. All throughout the scripture, this is a key character trait. Paul, in fact, exhorts us as Christians in Romans 12, 13, when he lays out 12 plus instructions for the true believer. I preached on this in the first sermon this January. If you go back and re-listen to it, So again, hospitable. Number seven, able to teach. In Acts 20, we see that elders must shepherd the flock of God. This means the elder must be able to take the scripture and teach and lead others through the story of God, instructing them towards their hope and joy. To be able to take this and have a question and flip to those answers that they've studied and brought maturity into their own life and and help exhort and bring alongside Another, this is discipleship, able to teach. Number eight, not a drunkard. This doesn't mean the pastor, elder, overseer, all interchangeable words in the scripture, pastor, elder, overseer. It's to not drink alcohol. It doesn't mean not to drink alcohol, but they are to be above reproach in how they handle it in public and private, how they consume it and how they treat it around others. It's really important how you govern these things. Again, tying back into being above reproach. So don't be shocked if you see me with my wife enjoying a fermented beverage at a restaurant or with me and another person in our congregation or someone outside the congregation, a neighbor, sharing a beverage. But know this, you must be diligent when it comes to guarding your heart around these matters. Because as some, as, you, as some of you know, this is one of those things that we battle, we can battle with, and you don't want to lose control on that battle. It's a battleground that many have lost loved ones over. I myself have lost a close friend of mine killed by a drunk driver. So there's, there's many that lose their lives um, over these things. So we want to be diligent in not allowing it to rule you. Number nine, we're not violent, but gentle. Let me read a quote from an author explaining this word, gentle. The gentle man stands in vivid contrast to the angry or quarrelsome man. A gentle man exhibits a willingness to yield and patiently makes allowances for the weakness and ignorance of the fallen human condition. One who is gentle refuses to retaliate in kind for wrongs done by others and does not insist upon the letter of the law or his personal rights. This is the man that treats others more highly than themselves. themselves. This is the man that follows the lead of Jesus as the servant king, lowering himself 
as he came from glory, put on flesh, and came down to earth, lowering himself to be a servant king for all, us all to the point of death on the cross. This is the not, cor- or sorry, this is the, the not violent but gentle person. Number 10, the not quarrelsome. Titus ver- or chapter 3, verse 2 says that we are to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. See, the quarreling man has no business being in church leadership and will only cause division rather than unity within the local church. We must not be a quarreling people, but a people that are slow to speak and quick to listen. So the quarreling, it doesn't mean that we don't discuss and argue and have deep debates. But if that's all you're doing, if that's what you're known for, then we need to start raising questions about your character. Number 11, not a lover of money. This is a big one to be aware of within those in leadership. Paul warns Timothy about this again later in verse Timothy 6.10 where it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, money cannot be the end goal of, for us, but rather to be used for the sake of ministry for the kingdom of God. I talk about this much with with those I'm discipling. Like, use your job. Use the financial means that you've been given by God a brain and the abilities to do work. So do whatever you can to do what you can to make that money. That's, That's great. But use that money for the sake of God's kingdom. Don't be about that money, but use that money so that now you have Egypt paying for salvation for others. You have all this money to use now for the kingdom of God. What, like, what's holding us back to that? Like, that's sweet. So not a lover of money. Use it as a means to do more ministry. This is what we ought to do. Number 12, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Here in the qualifications of eldership, move all the way now into how he cares and leads his family. This is intimate. Like, for elders here at the church, I'm going to interview their, their wives. I'm going to interview their their employees or employer. I'm going to see if they're above reproach, but I'm also going to be intimately understanding who their family is. So all these little kids, I want them, I want to know them. And I want to watch and see how dads are discipling these kids. See, others' children don't need to be saved. That is up to the Lord and something we would obviously be praying for and working towards. And Linda's got this beautiful graph of all the kids' names. And like those that have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior and those that have not yet. And so we're praying for your children. It's sweet. I love that. I love that that, uh, Linda has put that together. But this is what you parents ought to be doing. This is especially led by fathers. This is what your, your first number one disciple should be your children. It also means that the children do respect and honor the parents as their authority. This means faithful discipline when needed. So men, please stop following your children around, giving them anything they desire, but provide leadership and boundaries for them that they develop a character of serving and giving and providing for others. Respecting you and others, honoring you and others. Incredibly important. We have so many opportunities to do this. 
Help them understand the word no. And this type of behavior is inappropriate. And teach them the appropriate behavior. Or you are not to touch that, and here is why. And if they disobey, then lovingly discipline them. Develop their heart to be governed by right and wrong. Respect for those around them. To listen when talked to. To be patient and kind. To learn how to sit still and be okay if not being entertained. Like that's a big one in our culture. Learn how to sit still without being entertained. This means guiding the child rather than allowing your child to guide you. This means a consistent teaching of the gospel within the home and in the church. Let me say this. Every month, the beginning of the month, so next week is the beginning of the month, the first Sunday of the month, we're going to have the older kids in here with us. And we don't do that because we're, we're missing uh, volunteers for, for kids' ministry. We actually need more volunteers for kids' ministry, but we don't do that because we're low in volunteer needs. No, we're doing that we're to have the older kids in here and hear this, not to color with their friends. That's not the reason we're doing this. The reason we're doing this is that they sit with you. They watch you. They serve alongside you when you're serving on a ministry team. They're involved in listening and taking notes off the bulletin. They're singing songs with you. They're watching you lead. This is why we have the older kids here. To watch you sing, open your Bibles, take notes, to give an example of listening, to explain the gospel by way of communion, to have your children see you serve, then on the way home to talk and lead your family after how you might apply the word preached. All my kids have sit beside me. Every one of them. And every one of them guaranteed at a certain age go, what is that? When it comes to communion. And I have the opportunity now as a father to explain this beautiful table of grace. Why is there a cross on the stage? What is this pulpit for? Why is Jer read out of the Bible? These are questions your kids are going to ask. Why do you pray? Why do you have a cafe and treats back there? There's all kinds of questions that will come out of a kid's mouth. And I want to give you opportunities to serve them and disciple them. That's why we have the kids in the gathering. More like These are all reasons tied to this point, but I want to give you parents, especially fathers, those opportunities to disciple them well. Like That is eldership training. That's discipleship training. That's one of our core values, and we want to start at a young age. Outside of this point, I want them to be familiar with me. I did 15 years of youth ministry after construction, and the majority of high school kids, when they graduated, left the church. Specifically in the church I was serving at, thriving youth ministry, leaving the church after they graduated. So when I started youth ministry, I said, no more. I'm tired of this. When you graduate, you're going to Bible school. And when you're in my youth ministry, you're serving in the church. So where are you going to serve? The most common question I asked the high school kids, where are you serving? We had people leave this ministry because they told me they shouldn't be in. High school kids shouldn't be here. They left the church because of this. 
mind-blowing. Kids, if you're in high school here, so good to be here with you. I love the fact that you're here. Because when you graduate, you're familiar now with what goes on and you're part of it fully from the time you're two years old and younger to the time you graduate high school. You are part of this church, part of this ministry, and we want you saved. We want you to surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so the more you can hear that message, the better. And so we want you to serve. We want you to shake hands at the door. We want you to be involved in community groups. At grade 10, I want kids in community group. In grade 10, they can fully understand. They're going through a lot harder stuff than we think in those early ages of high school and hearing things that we think they're not hearing, but yet they hear it. So to be a part of our community group is so important. We can actually learn a ton from them and they can learn a ton from us. So we need to be better at gathering and discipling our children so that when they do graduate, that they're heading off to Bible school, right? They're heading off to learn more about Jesus. They're heading on to the mission field. They're heading off to go and serve Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, living out the character qualities that are here. Number 13, the elder must not be a recent convert The reason for this one is actually given right in the text. It says in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So this alerts us to a few things. Number one, maturity in the Christian faith comes in time. It takes some time to walk in maturity. And oftentimes you hear me often say from the pulpit, it's a matter of the heart. I'm saying that because it is. Like, we need to understand that as a church body, I want us to understand the things of the heart are evil and deceptive, and we need to be aware of what's going on inside of us. Even the point of me going, read through First Timothy and don't point at someone else, actually point at yourself and see what character traits you're living out is a matter of the heart. It's again, it's going back to this. And so, to be mature as a Christian faith comes in time. And during the time of maturity, you begin to grow in understanding your heart and its evil intent. And this is important and a must as one is called into eldership. Number two, the elder is going to be attacked by the enemy. We need to be praying for the elders. And I, I encourage you, please pray for me. I need it. The attacks on the elder, the attacks on the pastor are going to be significant because if the enemy can take out the leader of that ministry, the whole ministry is damaged. So we see this also in the character quality as well in number 14, the last one. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Again, the devil is at work here against the elder. So the unbelieving world must think of this man when it comes to well thought of by outsiders as a good and honorable man. Again, this is why we want to go into the workplace, to the unbeliever, and to the neighbor, to see your character. So they must think of the elder of the church as being above reproach, all tying back to the very first one, which essentially is a big umbrella term for all of these underneath it. So being above reproach in all matters. So church, there is so much more to be said, but these character qualities are not in everyone. They're not in everyone, but we ought to be, like I said earlier, we ought to be faithfully praying for these character traits in each one of us, and especially us as men. 
So and also faithfully praying for the men of the shore here that these will be men of character. So let's look at some application. What do we need? Number five, what do we need? As we close with this. See, Jesus commanded us in Matthew 9, 38 to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I, like I said, I didn't touch 8 through 13, verses 8 through 13, but that's the role of men and women. The only difference is your gender and ability to teach from the pulpit. That's it. And so we have community group leaders that are women. We have Bible study leaders that are women. We have leaders, many, many qualified women leaders in this ministry that are serving as deacons, even though we haven't even started deacon ministry yet. And so it's, we have some faithful women here. We need men and women aspiring and desiring to serve as they have been served. We need men and women willing to step into areas that are needed to be filled. We need men and women that seek for the, the best for the kingdom of God. We need men and women to humbly serve, to follow Jesus as the servant king. I skipped this already in my text. I must have read over it, but it just the Lord reminded me of it right now. But we need also men, period, serving in kids' ministry. This is a big deal. We need those boys, which there are a lot of, in the kids' ministry to be taught by men. Not just volunteered with, but taught. We need kids being taught by qualified men that, with a good character so that these little boys will, will watch these men as, and be led by an example. So I just call on you men to do so, to be leaders within that kids' ministry as well. So I think we, we prayed, actually, for our one and only male teacher, uh, Dwayne, who left to Abbotsford last week. So now all the teachers right now in kids' ministry are ladies, which is great. But unfortunately, we need some men there too. So we need, to, we need men and women to recognize that we are all priests of a holy kingdom and are to fulfill the calling to share the good news of Jesus by way of evangelism, discipleship, and community. And we need men and women that want to build treasure in heaven rather than here on earth. We need men and women that seek to protect our children and to raise them up in discipline and, and in the instruction of the Lord that they too will seek the things of Jesus at an early age. And what does this look like? Well, D.L. Moody has a great quote. He says, character is what we are in the dark. Character is what we are in the dark. So when you're in your own home, in the privacy of your own home, in your own home, what are you doing? How are you acting? What is your character like in that space? See, it looks like signing up to serve on a Sunday team. It looks like men that have attended church all their life to start, like I said, teaching, starting with the kids. It looks like laying down your wants, needs, and desires for the sake of another, especially those in the church. It looks like attending a community group, joining in on the community events, attending Bible studies, serving the church. It looks like living out your freedom in Christ and having joy in it. It looks like being above reproach in all things. It looks like being a Christian that Paul describes in this text. So what I'm going to do now to close this off, I want to pray for these qualifications for us. Would you please rise as I'm going to hit these character qualities through a prayer and then we'll close with some more songs. Lord Jesus, 
Give us aspirations and desires for the noble tasks you have set before us. Help us be above reproach in all things. Help us be faithful men and women to our spouse and future spouse. Help us be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Give us, Lord, the abilities to teach. Guard us from drunkenness. Help us be gentle. Help us be, be those that flee from quarrels. Keep us from the love of money. Help us manage our household well, Lord, with all dignity, keeping our children submissive. Help us grow in maturity. Help us be well thought of by outsiders. Help us to be dignified, truthful. Help us, Lord, as long as you delay to govern the church the way you have called us to and proclaim the greatest story, your story, Jesus, for you, Jesus, were manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world, taken up in glory. To the name above all names, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.